Hi everybody, it's me, V Cummins, and welcome back to Read Dirty to Me. I am so excited to be back with you guys today. I am actually in a recording studio, which is wild as heck, and I still can't believe it. It's technically my mother-in-law's studio, but she is very gracious enough to let me use it for right now. And the air conditioning is on behind me, so if you hear that, um, I'm very sorry, but this is a brick building, um, and I am on the third floor. So the AC is kind of a must in here, especially in uh, these Midwest summers that we are having. I guess it's not winter, although I very much wish it was. So we are back today talking about Stanton Adore. We are actually wrapping up Stanton Adore today, which I am always very excited about. This one does end on a pretty big cliffhanger. But unlike last time, whenever I covered this book, I will actually be recording next week. So you will get to hear the uh, uh, resolution of the cliffhanger. It would be really good as an author and as a podcaster about books if I could remember resolution whenever it comes to after climax of a book, that is. Anyway, um, so here I am. Like I said, I'm back. Before we get into Stanton Adore, let me discuss with you guys the um, romance page that I started that I'm very excited about. So if you search on Facebook for Read Dirty to Me, you will see my Facebook page just for the podcast where I talk strictly about the podcast. However, there is now also a Facebook group that is for me to discuss the novels that I'm working on, the podcast, of course, and I might actually start throwing in which fan fictions I'm working on because I'm actually, I've used fan fiction for a while to kind of build my writing style, really focus on what I'm doing, kind of where I can uh, improve and things like that. And so I'm actually really proud of some of my fan fictions. Um, They're all Gilmore Girls. They're all Rory and Logan. I am unapologetic about my love for Logan Huntsberger. If you look at my computer, there are three men's name on it. One is Logan Huntsberger, one is Joshua Stanton, and one is Cole Sharp. And we will be discussing Cole Sharp one of these days. He is my introduction to Lauren Lane. He is wonderful and amazing, and him and Tiny have such a cute little relationship, and I cannot wait to discuss them. But, like I was saying, for the romance group, it is V. Cummins, V-I-C-U-M-M-I-N-S, Romance. That's it. If you uh, go in there, you'll see some other amazing authors that I'm very excited to work with. Um, They share some of their books that are going to be on sale. I have one that I'm very excited about um, from Sadie Kincaid, who is promoting her sale of Dark Angel for only 99 cents or 99 pence if you're in the UK. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, there's hopefully I'm really hoping that that group will pick up. You will get information about the podcast. You'll get information about my books, including cover reveals, pre-order information, all that fun stuff. Really hoping that all my books will be available under Kindle Unlimited. That is actually something I meant to talk about in the first few episodes that I've released since the hiatus slash rebranding. Almost all the books that I cover will be on... Uh, Kindle Unlimited, at least for the Sunday night, Monday morning main show. Those will always, um, unless I can help it, be from Kindle Unlimited. I very much love Kindle Unlimited. I think it's one of the best inventions. Um, And of course, now I'm singing Bo Burnham's Jeffrey Bezos in my head. But 
I really do think that it is a great opportunity for authors and readers alike. My book count is constantly maxed out at 10 titles that you can rent at any time. There will be times where I will read something on Kindle Unlimited and then fall in love with it so much that I don't want to get rid of it. And I'll just go buy the book from the author because I'm just so obsessed with it. And that's actually become quite quite a big issue. But Kindle is doing this new like book reward program for the summer. I'm so excited about it. You get points for every book that you buy. And my husband, whenever he heard about this, you could just see it in his eyes that he's like, I'm going to lose so much money to just books over the summer. Just electronic books. Every once in a while, there's just going to be a $5 charge that comes out of the account. And it's just another Kindle book. And I'm not ashamed of it. I'm very excited about it, actually. All right, let's go back to Stanton. We are back at Stanton Adore. Where we left off in Chapter 15, they had this huge, massive blowout because they saw um, Thundercunt or TC, um, if you don't like those words. I completely understand they the c word does not offend me does not hurt me um but i understand why it upsets a lot of people i understand that in america it does have a either bigger connotation or just bigger reputation than in other countries so for this podcast i will just be using tc unless i'm introducing her or that character for the first time in that episode. So I know that we talked about TC a lot last week. We're probably going to be talking about her a lot throughout these Stanton books. Um, But I will just at the top of every episode be like, oh yeah, it is Thunder C. And then I will just call her TC for the rest of the show. So I just want to kind of give everybody that heads up. Like I said, it's not something that bothers me. I respect that it upsets a lot of people. Um, Hopefully... I mumble enough that you can't even understand the word whenever I do reintroduce it. Um, But however, hopefully, I don't mumble so much that you can't listen to the podcast. It's a real, real delicate uh, balancing wire that we're on, it feels like. So let's get back into it. We are at chapter 16. It's the night after the big fight, and Natasha wakes up feeling kind of silly. She sees now how she was a drama queen, but it threw her meeting something that he meeting someone that he had slept with. She thinks the fact that she doesn't have a past is also bothering her, and she is waiting for an apology that is seemingly never coming. But when there's a knock on her door two days later, she gets her hopes up, only to be upset when it's a man with a new door after Josh broke hers. So here's my my thing about this whole she gets upset because she's meeting somebody that he slept with which I totally understand I completely get it and at this point she thinks that their relationship is very much from point A to point B it's it has a finite end so for her she's like okay this thing has a finite end if he's in Australia for only four weeks I only have him for four weeks how in the world am I already seeing somebody that he slept with But you'll see eventually she does go back to the States with him. And I'm like, are you going to throw this many fits every time you meet somebody that he has slept with? Because he has slept through a lot of women. But then I also remember the fact that one day my husband said that he found uh, Friends era Courtney Cox and Jennifer Aniston attractive. And I almost didn't watch Friends for a very long time. Meanwhile, I have three men's names on my computer. They're all imaginary. But... One of them, Logan Huntsberger, is based off of Matt Zuckery, who I'm absolutely in love with. And my husband has to listen to me call myself Mrs. Matt Zuckery for hours. And yet I almost boycotted Friends because he said that Jennifer Aniston and Courtney Cox 
two of the most beautiful women on the planet were pretty. So maybe I am Natasha in a lot of ways, and that's a really tough pill to swallow. But I digress. Later on that week, she's at work, stress eating, and she is thinking over the relationship, acknowledging how toxic it can truly be. She wants to kick the habit of the relationship, but she doesn't know how, so she tries to go through the negatives of the relationship. After going over the valid points, such as only allowed to be together in secret, their familiar relationship, he's a player, etc., she starts going over the positives. The biggest and only positive she really gets to is that when he's with him, she forgets all the bad stuff and she gets lost in him. As she's thinking these over, Simon, her work colleague, messages her to go to lunch. There she gets a call from her mom who invites Natasha over to dinner because Margaret, Josh's mom, is in town and they're having dinner with the Stanton family. Later on that evening, she gets to the dinner party. She sees the bodyguards outside in her mom's house, oh, outside of her mom's house, and goes to talk to them. They let it slip that they watch her apartment, too. She heads in where Cameron breaks the ice as he knows it's awkward between them, even though he thinks it's awkward because of the fight night, not the actual big fight between her and TC. Josh's witch of a mom is there, and she actually acknowledges Natasha nicely. Natasha moves her attention over to where Josh is talking to Will and her dad. She watches as Josh looks her up and down and cracks his neck. She walks into the kitchen to join her mom and sister when she texts Josh hello with a kiss. He responds back, just hello, no kiss, and she asks if he purposely didn't return the kiss, and he asks if she purposely didn't apologize. She says sorry, but he just responds with and, and she admits she was being a drama queen. He sends her two kisses after that, and she smiles but doesn't respond. He messages her that he missed her today and she gets incredibly excited because it's the first time he's expressed any kind of emotional connection besides saying he adores her she responds that she misses him every day as he's as she's busy beaming at her phone he sneaks up behind her and whispers in her ear making her jump i think about this probably more than i should because these are very fictional characters but I was rereading all of this for the podcast and for the notes and all that kind of stuff and i just remember thinking Oh my goodness, this man for the first time is showing you any real outward sign of affection. Like just, I missed you today is enough for her to make her go bananas. And I say this as somebody who my husband accidentally brushed my arm and I got very excited because I was like, yay, he's touching me. My husband gives me physical affection all the time. He constantly gives me hugs and kisses and he constantly tells me he loves me. And I got so excited by that like marginal accidental slip of him reaching for something around me while I was cooking. And I was just like, you know, I get it though. Like I get that feeling of like, you just love somebody so much and they're finally, even if it's nothing, they're finally giving you some shred of attention. And that is really nice, you know? And so for her to get this message, even in front of all their family of like, yeah, I miss you today too. And just kind of him really grappling with that and knowing that for him, this is him like accepting them. I can see how that would actually mean a lot to her. And I'm going off on another tangent, and I'm sorry. Her mom messes up a dish and needs Natasha to go to the store. Josh immediately offers to drive her and doesn't broke a room for an argument before he's out the door. She follows him out, and the second they're out the door, he's immediately pulling on her, pulling them inside of the house so they won't be seen and kissing her like crazy. He's grinding her, moving her, molding her how he needs her and wants her, and he tells her to stop fighting with him about shit while kissing her. Her response is, quote, Stop sleeping with other women, I breathe. You know you have me. What are you worried about? 
He kisses me deeply again as he grabs my face. Do I have you, Josh? I question. Completely, he breathes. Shit. Good answer. My heart melts completely. Well, he has me completely under his spell, completely in love with him, and completely needing to climb his big, beautiful body and take him inside me. Josh, let's just go inside and tell them. He kisses me again, but doesn't answer. Our passion turns desperate as he grinds up against me and lifts my leg around his hip so he can gain access to my wet center. I want to try making go of it. I will move back to America with you. He stills and pulls back to look at me, and my leg drops to the ground as he frowns. You would do that? Josh, I would do anything to be with you. You have to know that by now. He kisses me again more urgently and rams his hips against mine. Unquote. I included this whole scene because I think it's really important. It's important to see how invested she is and how much he didn't really believe she was invested, but he believes her now. It all feels real for him finally, I think, and it feels like they're really getting to the same page. And it kind of goes back to, you know, how he had only said, I miss you today for the first time. And I think it really does drive home that point of, well, if he didn't think that they were serious, if he didn't think that they were at this kind of position, well, of course he's not going to constantly give his affection. You saw it, you know, with their relationships, you know, post their breakup, pre their getting back together. You really see that his way of getting over it was a physical relationship he could open himself up physically to other people but he couldn't open himself up emotionally to other people whereas Natasha was the exact opposite Natasha could be with people emotionally it might be never fully connect with them on the level that she needed to but she could connect with them and you know but she could never open herself up physically to be crass she could never open her legs so now she is showing him, hey, I'm in this. I'm in this for real. I didn't actually cheat on you. I didn't actually do any of these things that you thought I did. Hell, I didn't even sleep with the men that I was engaged to. Because for me, you were it physically. And I think that that might be why she just can't ever fully get over his level of, you know, man that he had. Because for him... That's just what he was able to do. That's how he combated the loneliness, no matter how empty it was. And I still think for her, those relationships, you don't ever see them. You don't see the relationships that she was in beforehand. But that is, you know, her entering these relationships in a false mindset of needing to, of being able to be with somebody, but not being able to fully be with them because your heart is still with Josh. She might have been open with them emotionally, but not as emotionally as she needed to be. And I think this really hammers home kind of where these things are coming into play. So she encourages him again to go inside, rip off the Band-Aid, and tell everyone what they feel for each other. Josh tells her he wants to wait, make sure they can go a week without roping each, ripping each other's hair out, and it's one of the smartest things he ever does. He also says he will sneak out tonight to see her that night when his mom goes to sleep. When they arrive back at home, Margaret, Josh's mom, is pissed, and Brock confronts Natasha about why she's so mad. Brock keeps trying to play the protective brother card, and she gets annoyed, and now they're stuck at an incredibly awkward family dinner. So Margaret, Josh's mom, seems to kind of know... The things that are going on, she's now staying at Josh's house, so he can't really sneak out as easily as he was whenever it was just his brothers. You have her brother who's being super protective because he saw how quickly Josh was able to just rip her out of that building. So he's like, oh, no, like, I don't know what's going on between you two, but I don't like it. So 
Brock keeps talking about how Josh's many hot women he's been with, and Margaret says he does well with the ladies, but his heart is taken by a meal. Gag. No, 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 for real gag. She's the worst. Just, she's a fantastically well-written character, but she's awful. Where Will clears his throat, Cam loudly drops his, his utensils, and it confirms that Margaret isn't completely wrong. It comes out that Emil is Josh's vet for his horses, having Natasha connect that she's the blonde on his phone. Margaret keeps going on about all that Josh and Emil do together, and Natasha keeps trying to make eye contact, but he won't. They go on vacations with each other's parents as well, and Margaret points out that Emil comes from a well-off family. I think it's Emil or Amelia it's there's no I or there's no A so it's A-M-E-L-I-E and I used to know how this was pronounced and I completely lost it I want to say it's Emil and I'm just going to call her that the rest of the time Amelia no it's Emil Cameron tries to divert the subject and is somewhat successful Natasha watches as her son's Oh, Natasha watches as all of the Stanton boys interact with Margaret, always doing exactly what she asks without questions. And this is actually a really cool scene, the way it plays out. I didn't really watch how, like, I didn't write how it all went down, but it's very interesting to see just the dynamics really play out because you can kind of see these things just in real life and to have it written out in a book was really cool. Margaret makes an aggressive comment about how good Natasha must be at manipulating or controlling minds, being a psychologist. She also starts to go off at her for sinking her claws into Josh. Natasha has finally had enough and stands her ground, making Margaret call her, quote, a conceited little bitch, unquote. Cameron immediately tells his mom to stop, but Josh is completely silent and shocked. When she finally decides she needs to leave because she's had enough, Josh finally breaks the silence, asking her not to go, but Natasha is pissed. Quote, sit, I snap as I point to his chair. Mommy dearest here wants to breastfeed you and we couldn't have you upsetting her. Get your nappy changed while you are there. It'll save you time later. Unquote. Josh follows her, confronting her at the car, but she throws it in his face that he didn't come to her defense, but Cameron did. As they're fighting more, she tries to ask him what she is to her, what she is to him, but he just tells her not to ask stupid questions. She asks him to let her go before Brock comes running out. As the two men and the bodyguards start to fight, Natasha uses a distraction to slip away. And Oh, she asks him to let her go, and then Brock comes running out as the two men and the bodyguards, because the bodyguards get out of the car to start fighting with Brock, who's trying to attack Josh. She uses a distraction, slips away, and drives off. She has to pull over to the side of the road to cry at the thoughts of Emile in her head, the biggest knife in the gut being New Year's Eve, because every New Year, she has thought of him at midnight wishing they were together, but he was with her. As she's crying on the side of the road, a man runs up to her car, scaring her. She then finds out that this guy is her bodyguard, and he has been working with her for three weeks without her knowledge. She eventually drives off in anger, and in my favorite line, quote, I get back into my car and slam the door, taking off so fast I rub the shit out of my Honda, unquote. I don't know why, but that line makes me laugh every time. And I actually have a t- Toyota. Like, I just have a minivan. And I, there have been a few times, certain roads especially, I will go to make a left turn, and all of a sudden, you'll just hear my car squealing. Like, my tires are just going nuts. And I always feel like the coolest person on the planet until I remember that I'm literally just driving a minivan 
full of children. It's it's not cool. I am not doing anything cool when I peel out. And so that kind of reminded me of me where just like, yeah, I feel awesome. And like, I'm just so angry and I'm going to drive off angrily. But you're just, you're not in a Dodge Charger. You're not in a Ferrari. You are in a Honda or a Toyota. You're not going to look that cool. But the thought is still there and that thought is nice. So we're at chapter 17, Josh's point of view, and he's pulling into his driveway with his mother, who's very happy. Cameron is telling him not to fight his mom, even though Josh is getting more and more upset with her attitude. Josh immediately heads to the shower. Cam follows him there to talk to him, asking how long they've been seeing each other, wondering why Josh didn't say anything before. He says it's just fucked up and he can't, but they've been together since the fight night. Cameron tries to tell him that 20% of marriages are between first cousins, which huge props to Cameron for looking that up. Josh admits that Natasha wants to move to the U.S. to make a go of it with him, but Cameron points out that she cheated back when they were young, and Josh admits she didn't. Josh goes on to talk about how different things are with her, how the sex is now intimate, how Natasha doesn't put up with the shit, which is refreshing, and she's driving him crazy overall. He tells Cam he's going to see her, that he has some explaining to do because he didn't defend her. As he's packing his bag, hoping he'll be able to spend the night with her and she won't kick him out, his mom comes in asking if he's going anywhere. He admits that he's going to see Natasha, that, she's still, that he's still attracted to her, and that despite his mother's warnings, he will not bring disgrace on the family. After a few minutes of a terse exchange, she decides to just pick up his bag and leave. He decides to just pick up his bag and leave, but Margaret tries to stop him, calling Natasha a, quote, self-absorbed social ladder climber, unquote. She says that Natasha repulses her. Josh turns to confront her, and Cameron tries to stop him, but he can't because Josh is so mad. He tells his mom he's going to Natasha's to beg for forgiveness because he let her speak to her like that. He admits that he's going to spend the night with the one woman who will make him happy. He goes to Natasha's house, and it's quiet. He heads to her room and sees her sleeping, which he feels is probably for the best as they'd fight again right now because they're both so upset. Natasha's point of view. She hears Josh come into her apartment, but she immediately jumps under the covers, pretending to be asleep. She's happy he had the guts to come over, but she still feels upset and hurt and thinks it's best to pretend to be asleep and not face the fight that night. She can hear him fiddling around in the kitchen, making himself food, and she realizes she's hungry. She can hear him turn on the TV, too. And I actually think this is a really interesting moment to read. They both know the fight was bad, almost too bad to face each other right now, but they still want to be close to each other, which I can definitely relate to. And I actually think it's one of my favorite scenes because it's one of those things where you're just kind of stuck. You're you're stuck not wanting to confront the thing, but you're not wanting to be alone. You know, you, you know, on Josh's side, he knows he messed up, but he doesn't know necessarily how to fix it, and he kind of needs that moment to breathe. There's no way he was going to be able to breathe with his mom in that house and all of his brothers. He couldn't exactly go get a hotel room because, you know, who knows what would, what Josh, sorry, what Natasha would have thought. You know, no no way was he going to win no way is Natasha really gonna win right now but they just kind of have to have this this moment of we're in the same space we'll figure it out together but we gotta let it breathe for a second and it actually reminds me of something I like a meme that I saw the other day that was like (laughs) stable healthy couples always make up fights in the weirdest way because they don't actually make up from fights they'll just ask some random non-important question like hey was the stove still working whenever you went in there because it's 100% true or my husband will be like 
uh, so what do you want from DoorDash tonight? And I'm like, okay, well, I guess my attitude is disappearing. If you're offering me food, like, of course, I'm going to eat with you. <laughs> so it really kind of reminded me of that. They're not at that stage where they can just ask each other a dumb question and the fight is over, especially because this fight isn't a dumb fight. This fight does have merit. It has weight to it, but they don't know how to fix that yet. And they can't ask the dumb question of, hey, is the tea kettle still working? Hey, you know, did you switch the laundry? It very much has to be this. Let's just let it breathe. Let's give it space. But I still want to be near you. She starts thinking about Emil, though, and how much of a hold she seems to have on Josh and how much they have in common. And she's worried that her and Josh really only have sex. She hears him come back into the room, slip into their bed, and makes a crack about her PJs. He whispers that they can discuss this in the morning if he has to burst if he hasn't burst from blue balls by then, and she giggles, alerting him that she's awake, which he seemed to already know. He turns around and talks to her, telling her he's sorry, but she explains that she's still mad. He has to talk to her in the morning about it because it's been three days since they spoke and he just wants to be with her, but she accuses him of never being there in the morning. Unquote. Or sorry, quote. You know why I never stay with you, Presh? My ears, my eyes tear up and I shake my head. I can't say the reason I know out loud because it just hurts too much. He can't even bear to look at me as he does the walk of shame. He's just that ashamed that we've been together. And every time I think of this reality, my heart breaks just that little bit further. Because I can't handle saying goodbye to you, he whispers. I never want to say goodbye. It's not easy on me either, you know? His voice betrays a deep sadness, much like the one I'm feeling myself. The tightness in my throat hurts as I try to suppress the tears that threaten again. Stop saying like that, things like that. You're fucking with my head. Baby, don't cry, he whispers as he wipes a lone tear that rolls down my face. Josh, we're not going to make it, are we? The hill is just too steep. We have too much against us. My heart rate picks up as I try to grip the reality of this. If I stay, I get hurt. If I leave, I can't even face that reality and pain lances through my chest. Unquote. After a few minutes of silence, he breaks the heavy moment by asking if she can just shut up and look pretty, causing her to giggle. She is internally discussing an ultimatum that will break them tomorrow. She tells him that she thinks he is better suited for a meal and he should go home with her. It hurts her. Go home to her. It hurts her and she wasn't going to do that tonight, but she couldn't stop herself. It seems to only upset him, though. He grabs her chin, tells her that the only woman he wants is her. He doesn't want a meal. He only wants Natasha. The ultimatum comes. She just can't do to casual. They need to be together or not. Even if they're not sleeping with each other, it still feels casual to her her it's not enough it's breaking her heart and he confirms it's breaking his too he tells her that it, he tells her they need to be together stating he wants to be with her does she want to be with him and she confirms she does like duh, dude i mean how how in the world do you think that this woman does not want to be with you at this point which i guess you know if she had lied about cheating on you in the past and all that kind of stuff i can see where maybe you're having that like internal split in your head but I just she wants you so bad he finally asked her to be his and I swooned with Natasha at this moment I'm not even gonna be too cool to say it although nothing about my personality is cool I swooned so hard at this moment the first time I read it and the 10th time I read it I will always swoon at Joshua Stanton
they're starting to get hot and heavy. Him telling her all the different ways he will make her happy while she's his girlfriend and all the ways being sexual. He cracks his neck. They, they hear his phone beeping in the next room and he gets annoyed as it beeps again and again. She asks him to turn it off because it's annoying her. He goes to get up and answer his phone because Cam is on the phone. She overhears him tell Cam that they're going to make a go of it and their mom needs to get over it, which makes Natasha very happy as he's really finally acknowledging them fully. As he comes back in, he teases her, telling her that he doesn't want gentle sex, or I miss you sex, or I love you sex, but he wants to fuck hard. He wants to have his way with her. And I had to temper my notes so much on this part because, well, just, hello, Mr. Stanton. I'd very much like to be destroyed by that man. Nutcrack especially. He's rough and explosive and dirty, talking about how he wants to fuck her in the ass. But once he does, he's playing for keeps with her. That it's the ultimate forum. She wants him to take her there, but he's not ready. So I thought that this was really interesting. There was another author that I read years ago. Like, back whenever I first really started reading romance novels. And I remember her books. And I will have to find them again because I really enjoyed them. But for her, in every single book at the end of it when they were kind of solidifying their relationship the man would always take the woman in the ass always every single time it was just the the crux of the relationship that was how it was solidified so I found it really interesting that this has come up in this book too where like hey yeah I really want to do it there but like if I do you there that means you are mine forever and just like what a what a weird engagement ring that is you know and like I'm not gonna go too graphic into it but like I think you know what I mean like what a weird version of a men's engagement ring like that ring goes around their neck and they're like yep I am sold that's the one no one else is getting me that was my version of engagement ring but I'm just wondering and I I don't think I've seen it in any other tail swan books so it's not like a mark of her writing or anything like that and if that's a mark of your writing great I love it I find it funny but I still love it but I just remember it very distinctly being a mark of this one author's book and it always it always threw me also we're gonna pause right here to talk about the neck crack because the neck crack I think I talked about it in part one too it comes up so much and I don't care who picks up these books for some kind of tv series you know, Gilmore Girls miniseries type thing. I don't care who picks it up. All I want is to see Henry Cavill especially, but really any super ripped, super jacked man uh, doing that neck crack because he's so turned on. Because I just imagine somebody cracking their neck out of pure lust for you. That sounds so great to me. I'm not even going to lie. That sounds so hot. Anyway, we're only on two chapters out of uh, 15 for this episode, so I, and we're 30 minutes in, so sorry, guys. Chapter 18. The next morning, Natasha wakes up to him still in her bed. She's discussing internally that she's happy she has him, that she's only slept with him, even if he doesn't know. Every time I read these books, I always think she has told him, but then I remember that she just says it's been a while, never that he is on, that he was her only one. She starts thinking about his mom, kind of understanding why his mom would have worries about them, but she doesn't know the real reason she is against them. Once he wakes her up, they start to talk, having a nice conversation, before he finally tells her just to spit out what she wants to talk about. She says she wants to talk about last night, but he doesn't know what else there is to talk about because he's in he's in for this and so is she. But she says she wants some truths first. He agrees to give her full honesty, but he needs to know if she was serious about moving and she confirms she was. But she tries to get more time in Australia out of him. He can't because of his horses and his contract in America. 
Her questions are if he has feelings for the blonde from the club, which is TC. He says no. She wants to know how he knows her. He says that she was his housewarming present from his friend Carson from L.A. She is trying not to, quote, get the shits, unquote, even though she's upset. One of my all-time favorite um, Australian phrases. And, by the way, whenever I do these quote and unquote things, I'm very sorry I don't have an Australian accent. I would try for you guys, but um, I would like my listenership to go up eventually, and that would just plummet it. I mean, you would just see all zero-star reviews. Apple would give you that option of a zero-star review just because of how, how terrible my Australian accent is. Um, she asks how often he gets sex workers, and he says that he doesn't like to date, but he has a high sex drive. She asks why he doesn't like to date. Quote, women I date always get attached, and well, my heart is already taken by you. Unquote. Which is such a good answer, but she's still upset, which I can understand. She asks him how he offers how often he gets sex workers he tries not to answer but she reminds him again she just wants honestly he finally admits it's at least once a week she gets worried about stds but he explains that he has only been bareback with her but what i love is that he gets kind of mad about her asking and internally she's like uh is this motherfucker kidding me right now he has all the sex i'm crazy for asking if i should be concerned right now because it's such a perfect depiction of a man's response like how dare you ask me how many women i've been with and if i'm clean excuse me and like the guy has been in page six and all these other magazines all over her google alerts being like i dated this person this person and he's getting you know sex workers which there's no harm in there there's no shame in getting sex workers i think it's actually a great option for tons of people and i think it should be made 100 percent legal but you cannot tell me if if my husband came home or if i god forbid something happened to my husband and i we broke up and i started dating some guy and i was like hey how often are you sleeping with different women and it was at the rate that Joshua Stanton is sleeping with another woman, I would request probably an STI check. No, I would 100% request an STI check. And I think that it's perfectly normal that Natasha has these concerns as well, but he's just so mad about it. She expresses her concern that she won't be enough for him because he's used to variety and she's just one person. But then he says this, quote, Tosh, you are all I see all I want. You mean everything to me, and I've missed you desperately for seven long years. In fact, I've fallen for you harder all over again. I fucking adore you. Give me a chance to prove myself. I'm not gonna fuck it up. I promise. Unquote. And, you know, my husband, like I've said before, sweetest man on the planet, for the most part. You know, we all have our flaws. I have a laundry list of them. Um, my husband has said very similar things to me. But it's so much more believable coming from a book boyfriend over your real-life husband. I'm over here judging Natasha for not believing him when I know damn well my response when my husband says it to me. I have the exact same reaction. She admits she's just nervous because she doesn't have the frames of reference and all the experience he has. And he admits that makes him happy because he would be jealous and that the thought of her being with other guys makes him crazy. She thinks maybe she should tell him the truth. She has only ever been intimate with him, but she's worried he will think she's an idiot. She decides to change the subject, asking why she has a bodyguard. He says that if she's going to be his girl, then she needs protection. But keep in mind, she's had a bodyguard long before they were official, meaning that she was always his girl. And I just find that super adorable. It's like a very small, like, Easter egg type of thing. He wants to know if his wealth and the responsibilities and all that come with it will be too much, admitting that he's close to a billionaire. 
Later, they are quietly kissing and enjoying each other before he has to leave for work, and she asks him to stay home with her, which is so relatable. <laughs> he tells her that their adult relationship starts today. They're not hiding anymore. They're not to be unsure of each other. They're going to do this, and they're going to be okay with the ramifications of it. She's on the way home from the gym when she hears Black Horse by Katy Perry come on. It reminds her of her and Josh a lot because they both feel like the dark horses of the family. She texts Bridget and Abby to meet at Oscars for coffee that night, and they both hurriedly agree. She gets home and falls asleep, awakening when she hears the keys in the door, and she gets excited that he's come home early, but it's actually her bodyguard opening the door, surprising her as she's in her underwear and a singlet, which for those of you who don't know what that is, like me, it is just tank top. It's not pertinent to my notes, but I do think it's important to fully understand her embarrassment when she walks out to her bodyguard dressed like that. Oh yeah, there's also a delivery guy there for her who needs her signature, which is why the bodyguard is there. He had to let the guy in. He brings in a big gift box with a bow, and after the, the delivery guy leaves, she asks the bodyguard what his name is, and he responds, Max. Apologizing for barging in, but he was worried that she was in trouble, and she's confused about what trouble she could possibly be in. He explains that if she's close to Josh, she will need protection, and she needs to get used to it, but he can't talk more, telling her to talk to Josh about it. Once he leaves, she turns towards her roses and reads the card which says, Yes, I want to play with magic, X, which is in response to the song, and she gets all giddy. When she turns to the box and open it, opens it, she discovers a set of black lingerie. When she discovers what is what he's alluding to with the card and the lingerie, she immediately runs to the bikini wax place. Later that afternoon, it's 5 p.m., and she's meeting the girls for coffee. Hearing that Abby's favorite friends with benefits wants to make it exclusive, but Abby doesn't want to as she likes being single. Bridget asks Natasha how her and Josh are, and Abby, always a supportive friend, makes a face and reminds them that he slept with T.C., but, like, it was before he and Natasha got back together, so maybe don't bring that up and hurt your friend. They catch up some more on her and Josh's relationship, and they kind of put doubts into her head on if she can handle this. The chapter moves to her being picked up by her bodyguard at 8, like Josh told her would happen. She's in lingerie in a sexy dress Josh bought her. And she's taken to a hotel and to a certain floor to meet him in his room. As she walks in, they start kissing everywhere. And as she's kissing, as he's kissing down her neck, she looks around and notices three cameras set up and realizes that they're making a porno that night. Isn't this something that should be discussed beforehand? And also say no more, I'm in. If I look like Natasha, but I don't, so let's not film one. Like, could you just imagine walking in and, like, you're in the sexy dress that, like, you're the man of your dreams bought bought you and like yeah okay and this as of right now he's your cousin and like that should really creep you out and stuff but like let's say you get <laughs> look past all of that and you just walk into a room and there's all these cameras set up and you just feel so good and like Natasha like looks so good in my mind <laughs> that I'm just like yeah I would 100% do that all right I'm down I'm game I'm in <laughs> but like me now I'd be like sir can we just record me eating all the chocolate-covered strawberries that are hopefully in this room and getting drunk on champagne, and I will sing karaoke. Can we record that? Because that would be way more attractive and will get us viral on YouTube in 0.2 seconds versus us trying to make a porno. Like, no one needs to see that. Chapter 19. Katy Perry's dark horse is playing through the room, which is a nice touch for him to do. She talks about how this is a planned seduction and how it worked, that she's definitely seduced. Yeah, me and you both. 
As he's taking the kissing and the tempting up further, she can feel the music and the beat working to make her even hotter. He finally turns her around to look at one of the screens where she can see themselves, and she sees how hot they look together. And even though I would look terrible, I'm kind of glad he's doing this for her because she constantly feels like she's punching above her weight with him, but he clearly finds her irresistible, and this helps her feel more secure. He's kissing her more, getting her off without even touching her where it counts. He's telling her he adores her, and she realizes that this film isn't some dirty porno. It's them really making love. And he tells her that they won't be apart again, that he promises this is it for them. They make their tape, and it's very sexual and very hot. And at one point, she mouths the words, I love you to the camera, so when he watches back, he will see them. Later on that night, she finds him out on the balcony. She takes a picture of him without knowing, sending it to her friends and saying she's enjoying the view while eating chocolate-covered strawberries and champagne, and they both pretty much tell her to fuck off. She wants to tell him she loves him, and she does, asking after he asks if she knows how much he adores her. He doesn't respond to her declaration of I love you, but she knows he feels it, and she asks him to take her to bed to show her how much he loves her. Chapter 20. Natasha wakes up to Josh staring down at her and smiling, but he looks like he wants to say something to her, too. She asks him to spit it out, and he asks if she's going to leave him. Natasha responds only if she gives him a reason to, like being with another woman. He asks if she'll leave when her parents find out, and she calls him a big dope, which he jokingly takes offense to, saying she gets a one-way ticket to Pound Town for that one. And this is a common phrase for them, and it's adorable, so I really wanted to bring it up. After a bit, she asks what he's doing that night. He explains that he has to train for a fight the next night, which makes her mad. She tries to get him to stop, but he says, and I quote, tough shit. She tries to get him to stop showing, oh, she is like mad as hell. She's trying to get him to stop. He lays out his reasons, and she finally says that she accepts it, but doesn't support it, and she doesn't want to go to the fights. It switches from them to Margaret Stanton at her solicitor, or lawyer. She has a large envelope that is sealed with a wax seal that she needs to put into a safety deposit box. She tells the solicitor that if she goes missing or is found dead, that envelope needs to go to Joshua Stanton and the solicitor becomes concerned. She explains that if her son's relationship continues, it could put her life in danger, so she's just being proactive. The solicitor tries to get her to call the police, wondering if she's involved in criminal activities, but she assures him it's not that. It is related to her son's paternity. This is a really defining moment for Margaret as she's crying when she does this as she knows that her son loses either way. Josh either loses his dad that he loves so much and looks up to or he loses Natasha out of guilt for being with his first cousin. She doesn't want him to live with that guilt and it is breaking her. This is the only part I really feel sorry for Margaret Stanton in because you'll come to see that Josh's real father is very dangerous and really connected so she has a right to be scared and I really do feel like maybe she doesn't that's why she didn't want Josh and Natasha together in the first place because she didn't want to have to admit to Josh hey your dad isn't your real dad but on the other hand she's just such a bitch like I feel for her and the fact that like she has to admit to her family and really break up her family but also don't be a bitch you know I mean okay maybe that's maybe that's really harsh but I think about it a lot it switches back to Natasha she's now sitting at the fight she told Josh she wouldn't go to but he sent Adrian Cam Abby and Bridget to get her tipsy enough to agree she's talking with Adrian and you find out his boyfriend is most likely cheating on him and that Josh never liked him because Josh feels like he's after his money it's also here that you find out that Josh bought him a house car and gave him a salary of three million dollars and I really need new friends or just friends in general. 
It also comes out that Adrian is a lot more than a personal assistant. He's a communications manager, letting the secret out that Josh is really shy, but he's never shy around Natasha because of how close they are. They go back to where their friends are waiting for Josh to perform, and as Natasha watches, she gets even more anxious until she sees him, and then it kicks it into high gear. She watches Josh kick his opponent in the gut, and she has to hide her eyes as it upsets her to see him get so much enjoyment from this. But as she's shielding herself, Cam and Ben are shouting for Josh to get up, so she quickly looks to see what is happening and sees Josh laying on the ground, getting beat up by the other guy. Josh does eventually get up, and the blonde... Him and the blonde man are really going at it against each other. So much that the ref tries to step in, but the blonde pushes him and goes after Josh. It's now that people realize this isn't just for sport. This is an actual fight. Cam and Ben start to head towards the cage as the trainers are trying to break them up. Fight keeps going, and it takes 15 men to separate the two of them, and Josh still looks like he wants to kill the guy who looks just as furious as Josh does. Ben finally gets to Josh, but Josh ends up screaming at him for leaving Tosh alone. An hour later, they are waiting for Josh at the exit of the locker room when the blonde guy from the fight earlier exits and Natasha realizes it's the warden from the jail before, the one that she found hot and asked her out on a date. He keeps his eyes on her and smiles at her. He has two bodyguards with him. Finally, Josh walks out and he also has two bodyguards with him along with Cameron. Josh gives her a peck on the cheek and she wants to yell at him but decides against doing it. Then, smart move, as they turn towards the parking lot, the blonde guy calls out, quote, Hey, Natasha, a voice calls out from behind us. Oh, shit, it's the prison warden guy. We all turn together and he winks at me. Think of tonight. Think of me tonight when you're having sex. It'll get you over the line quicker, unquote. The, chapter 21. The whole group is silent after those words drop until Ben and Cam put her between them as josh immediately drops his bag ready to fight again walking over and punching him in the face after saying quote you really want to die tonight fucker don't you unquote ben and cam try to get josh back to the car but she keeps calling out for josh until he stops turn towards her and storms the car with a group following them now i know i talked about how abby can be dangerous and a little extra but she cracked me up here unquote oh smell that adrenaline it's freaking hot abby's hilarious your vagina must be on fire natasha abby giggles all these hot guys fighting over you everybody bursts out laughing and cameron laughs but turns and puts his finger up to his lips to signify silence unquote i know she's being inappropriate and not reading the room correctly and she definitely makes josh mad but also it's funny and she's drunk and she's super relatable here um the other night i got drunk on hawaiian punch and vodka which was an idea that i had and my husband made into reality and i apparently went to the shower and sang and my husband says it wasn't singing it was just screaming really loud and then i sounded like will ferrell and elf (laughs) but this is kind of like what i imagine i would do too i would just be like god these men are so hot are you gonna get laid tonight i hope you get laid like i just know that i would be so inappropriate in this moment i would be inappropriate in this moment stone cold whole ass sober if i'm drunk i'm probably singing all of this like i'm probably singing about how hot these men are and how much adrenaline and testosterone is in this arena tonight josh eventually ends his quiet streak by asking where she knows him from and she explains that he's a warden at a jail she visits with work and he demands she hand in her resignation on monday after finding out she works at a male prison She's getting more and more mad that he would try to demand that, but she knows she can't fight with him at this point as he's just too mad. Cameron steps in, just wants to get them home in one piece, so he says he will get Josh and Natasha home and he will meet the rest of them at the Ivy. Cameron takes Natasha to her apartment as Josh stormed upstairs to shower and cool off. They talk 
talk for a few minutes before Josh comes out, seemingly much calmer. When Cameron gives them shit for the steamy kiss, Josh reminds him that he was supposed to go outside, seemingly kick him out. Josh goes to put ice on his knee and relax, but he ends up falling asleep before dinner. The next morning, Josh is waiting for Natasha to wake up because he wants to go back to his house to check on Adrian. Natasha reminds him they have that wedding to go to this weekend. As they get to his beach house, he asks Natasha to take off work off week off work next week so they can go look at houses in LA but she says that as long as they're together she'll be happy with wherever they live and really like really Natasha I just want you to take a whole step back and think about what that house has seen and this comes up later like there's a reason why I'm specifically pointing this out but really take a step back and think about what it means for you to be in that house where this man has had everything happen. I mean, this was his party pad in LA. This wasn't just a bachelor pad. This was like a bachelor in paradise pad. But like, Josh was the paradise. He wasn't even just the bachelor. He was the whole paradise, you know? And I don't know, maybe take a step back and figure out, mm, do I really want to be in that house? But... Mm. Later on in the chapter, they're at the wedding, and the table they are sat at is full of single girls, including a gay girl named Tatiana, who Natasha nicknames Titiana because of how much cleavage she is showing off to Josh. He makes a quip about how his wedding won't be as boring now, making Natasha jealous on purpose, because apparently Josh has a death wish. As Tatiana starts talking to him, Natasha sees someone she knew in college, goes to catch up, not wanting to listen to that girl come out of Josh as she's walking. She sees her ex-boyfriend that proposed to her. She's talking to her friend. Her ex comes up, wraps his arm around her waist, causing Josh to really hone in on watching her. Christopher, the ex, starts talking to her, and as she tries to play him off and excuse herself, Josh walks up and she awkwardly introduces them to each other, with Natasha using the title of boyfriend to describe Josh. It pisses Christopher off that she moved on so fast, and after she storm he storms away, she asks Josh to leave, and he says no, bringing them back to their table, where Tatiana continues to flirt before Natasha shuts it down. Josh asks how long they were together. She tries to avoid it before he asks again, and she says two and a half years. He asks if that was who proposed to her, and she broke up with him, and Natasha answers, that is who it was. And it seems to really upset Josh, because it's not like when he got with sex workers with no feelings involved, she had feelings for Christopher, even if they weren't as strong as her feelings for Josh. And this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. This is how, you know, she was able to open up but she couldn't open up physically whereas he could open up physically and not emotionally she has to use the restroom later on and on her way back christopher confronts her asking if she ever thinks of it of him she says he's being inappropriate and as she tries to leave one of christopher's friends comes over to see her saying they miss her she tries to hurry the conversation but it takes a bit to get away from the com it takes a bit to get away from them. She's been gone from the table for about 20 minutes before she gets back and sees Josh gone. After a while, she spots him on the dance floor with Tatiana, and I cannot describe the level of pain I would feel. And I've kind of been there, but the girl I saw my boyfriend dancing with was my best friend, and he wouldn't even dance with me. And I saw such a deep shade of red that night, and ironically, now I'm married to that boyfriend, and he's it's still one of my hurt, most hurtful feelings. We broke up, actually, like... This was way after the fact because that was his senior prom and I was a junior and we broke up my senior year for a few months. Um, and I still remember walking out of the bathroom at that prom, looking at the dance floor and seeing him and my best friend dancing and he wouldn't dance with me. And guys, I almost said every single cuss word that you could possibly imagine. I have invented new cuss words since then, but I'm pretty sure I almost invented them that night. I was so mad. So for her to 
walk out to this with Josh, who they're so brand new and so tumultuous. I don't know how I would handle it. I think I would truly just walk out. Like, I would Uber myself home as quickly as possible because I would just be too upset. She starts to cry and she wants to leave before she makes a scene. But as she gets up to leave, Christopher comes up wanting another chance. But Atessa says she can't, stating she's in love. And Chris throws in her face that the man she's in love with is dancing with another woman on the dance floor, which is when Josh reappears. Things start to get extra heated, especially when he calls her the ice queen, saying she leaves people when they fall extra hard for her. She gets bored and move on. When they finally get out to the car, Natasha's breaking down and sobs. Needing comfort, she reaches out for Josh, but he flicks her hand away, snapping, asking if he's going to be next, if she's just biding her time so she can hurt him. He says he's still not over their initial breakup, and he's worried she'll get bored and break him even further, not realizing that she broke up with those other guys because she knew she was in love with Josh and would never love them enough, like she should, until she screams that at him. She goes to get into her shower therapy, and he follows her into the bathroom to continue the fight. It's going back and forth, and she finally admits that she gets mad when he compares the relationships with the others because she never slept with them, finally admitting to Josh that she only slept with him this whole time. She lays it on the line, saying she felt that if she ever slept with someone else, she would feel like she was betraying him, that in her mind, her body was always his, and she was always his, and that her love was unconditional. But when he heard once that she slept with someone else to try to save him from himself he just walked away it goes to josh's point of view where he's in shock over the revelation he's feeling like an asshole and i have to say he really is in this situation not because he fucked his way around the united states like a bull in a china shop but because of dancing with tatiana strictly that's it he ends up climbing into the shower fully clothed and holding her which is admittedly stupid romantic in my book the way he treats her here though is so different from when they'd fight earlier in the book and it seems like such an epiphany for him he had been holding on to all this angst for her for her lying for her cheating on him even though he you know just found out it was a lie for all those years he thought she had moved on but in all actuality she never fully had she had never fully let him go even if she was just emotionally with another person she could never fully be with them because she was always with him and he was always a part of her quote seven years seven long years i've waited for this and now i realize the sick truth is that i'm undeserving of her love my heart breaks it's been five days since we got back together five days she has taken to break down my defenses and i have never been more in love with my life i'm in serious trouble unquote all right we are at chapter 22 and i just paused took a quick um rehydration break so hopefully I won't be slurring and stumbling over my words so chapter two the next chapter 22 the next morning he cooks her the breakfast she wants instead of his gross protein shakes and tells her that they get to do whatever she wants which seems to be kissing and cuddling and sleeping and as someone with four kids that run around my house that sounds like the beyond perfect day she wakes up to him that afternoon and he says, quote, I know you saved your body for me, but you know, must know I saved my heart for you. I love you more than anything, unquote. Chapter picks up again Wednesday afternoon and her and a hot, sexy secretary get up for him, which she knows he loves, and she's going to his office. Adrian meets up with her at the front of the office when the secretaries call him up. He takes her back to his office where she can see josh training a group of kids who are all unknowingly vying for an internship which is the most prestigious in his field because of how intelligent josh is as she's watching him he locks eyes with her cracks his necks while staring at her 
letting her know that she has won. He immediately calls for lunch at the training class, grabs her hand, pulls her behind a wall, and kisses her. He's trying to get her naked, as it's been five days since they last had sex due to her period, and he's going crazy, but she tells him they can't because they're supposed to be going to lunch with Adrian. As they're at lunch, Natasha's boss shows up with a very famous psychologist, Nicholas Anastas. She's incredibly giddy and nervous and excited and can barely talk, but when Nicholas goes to shake Adrian's hand, they have insane chemistry together. After Nicholas and Harry leave, Natasha can't stop gushing about how cute Nicholas is to Adrian, causing Josh to get playfully annoyed. After a few minutes, a friend of Nicholas's comes over with a card for Adrian, asking him to come to dinner with Nicholas, and they compare him to Joe Magnana... Joe Magniello? The Sofia Vergara's husband. A quick scene cut to Nicholas telling his assistant to get as much information on Adrian and Josh as quickly as possible because he is it is the first time he has felt ruffled by someone in years. It switches to Josh's point of view that Sunday, he's looking over a sleeping Natasha as he prepares for his run. He feels calm with her and right, and he never wants to let her go. And before we switch over to chapter 23 and go back to Natasha's point of view, I kind of want to pause and talk about Nicholas and Adrian for a second. <clears throat> so Nicholas is going to get his own book per TL Swan. And it's, you know, pretty much confirmed that it's going to be him and Adrian, but T.L. Swan just released Mr. Garcia, and there is a character in Mr. Garcia that I, all I could do was picture him with Adrian, and I really hope that, like, I really want to see that also come to fruition because I just love the idea of it so much. So I talked about this on Wednesday's mini-episode of Mr. Ferreira, or no, Mr. Ferreira is coming up. Sorry, Mr. Garcia. There's so many good Teal Swan books coming up. You guys are just going to hear her name for weeks. But um, Mr. Garcia has a character for Adrian that I cannot wait to see if it gets explored. I highly recommend it. Chapter 23. It's Natasha's point of view, and she's waking up to a phone call from Josh as he had to train that morning. She's supposed to go over to meet with a friend of Josh's that is very important to him, so he wants her there quickly. She meets his, quote, only friends that are happily married, and they have their three kids. It switches to Josh's point of view pretty quickly, and he's talking to his friend, Sean. They're watching the girls have dance competitions with the kids and playing piggyback with one of the girls. He internally says that Sean is the friend he trains in the gym with, plays polo with, just a super close friend who isn't a partier and seems to have a genuine connection with. Sean knows they are cousins because Josh let it slip one night while drunk. Sean asks how much they've really thought about this situation. Josh admits he knows that he will have to give up a lot she will have to give up a lot to be with him like the move and the job but that she offered first then his friend kind of drops the ultimate bomb they really can't have children is josh prepared to take mother away motherhood away from natasha and it's the first time that josh has really thought about that and that really causes him to panic sean tells him to be sure before he asks natasha to give up her job family friends country and potential motherhood to be with him Although they could become parents in many different ways, like adoption or fostering, but I can see why Josh would internally freak out. Like, oh, what if she wanted to get pregnant? What if she wanted to give birth? Is this cutting into that? After Maria, Sean's wife, steals him away, he looks over at Natasha, who seems so incredibly happy with the kids. He remembers what all she said about their first break. When they had that initial break, 
when he was getting ready to leave for America and he decided to give it all up, she had to kind of be the one that fell on the sword of, no, I'm not going to let you do this. I will break up. I will make that sacrifice. I will be the bad guy. And he's wondering if he's strong enough to walk away from her like she did with him all those years ago. It's back to Natasha's point of view, and she's nervous about Josh. He's acting weird and quiet and shy. He starts to tell her what's wrong, but he can't seem to get it out. And just ends up telling her that he has a headache, and she gets him some aspirin and starts to send him to bed. She feels deep down he's lying, but she doesn't want to push, and she wants him to tell her on his own time. The next morning, she wakes up alone, and she still hasn't heard from him by that afternoon. She tried reaching out, but he hasn't called back and won't answer her. She asks her bodyguard if he's at work, and the bodyguard says he's making her feel even more weird because of, like, asking all these questions. She calls Adrian's phone to get him to put her on the phone with Josh. She demands to know why he hasn't called her. He says he's busy and that he won't be by tonight either because of work. He tells her that he loves her and for her to remember that, that he only wants what is best for her, but she reminds him that what is best for her is to be with him. Late that night, she's waiting for him. It's around midnight when she hears him come in. She feels something is very off between the two of them. He bends down to brush her hair back, and she begs him for honesty. He says he knows that he loves her and that that's the honest truth. She begs him to get into bed, and he asks her to make love to him. He's going to lay there, and he wants her to touch them, touch him. As she's getting ready to climb him, he's acting strange, giving her sad smiles. When she talks about how she craves him now, he wants their sex slow. He needs it to be slow that night. He starts crying, which is confusing her even more. They ramp it back up to hard and fast like they normally would, but when she wakes up the next morning, he's gone again. That day, it's 7 p.m., and she won't call him. At 1 a.m., she finally falls asleep. The next day, she gets a client that will only see a male doctor, which discourages her, but that afternoon, she finds out Bridget has been trying to get a hold of her like crazy. Once she finally calls Bridget, she finds out why. There on her Google Alerts is pictures of Josh kissing a brunette outside of a dancer's club, seemingly from the night before. And could you imagine how brutal that would be? I remember the first time I read this book. I cried for her and wanted to hit him. No nutcracks no nut cracks no nut cracks would help no neck cracks in the world would have made it up to me i can't oh it hurts it hurts so bad it's the it's the miss swan gif and scene from clue where she's like flames flames on the side of my face it's all i can think about just how upset you would have to be chapter 24 she's crying and dry retching while going over everything in her head after how half hour she picks herself up and decides to go through the photos to analyze she feels that something is off with the pictures he's alone no entourage the security guard with him is different and she still has max protecting her she decides to go down and tell max to call josh to state that since he's obviously changed his mind about them that max is no longer needed he does and josh immediately starts screaming at him satisfied that she's pissing him off she goes and side to say she's going home for the day but first she calls the tabloids that post those pictures and pretends to need to pay the account for the story plant when she does she finds out that josh had done so already at 10 50 the morning before proving to her that he had this planned all along since he knew she would get the google alerts she storms into Josh's office, kicking Adrian out when she gets in there. Josh tells him not to go anywhere, and her fury explodes. She goes over and slaps him. She yells at him, asking me things she's 
stupid, but he tries to tell her that the relationship with thing was boring to him. She's using her therapist degree on him, telling her he was premeditated inception to fuck with her. She calls him a coward, stating that he doesn't want to face the truth and would force her to leave him. Adrian smiles behind his back, confirming her suspicions. He can smiles behind Josh's back and she's staring at him. She then tries to needle him more, asking if it was his mom's fault that he's doing this, pissing him off even more. She tries to get him to leave with her, but he won't, so she starts pouring water over his keyboard and monitor. She needles him again, asking if he's protecting his mom, but he snaps that he's protecting her. She smiles, happy that she got him to confess what the real reasoning was. They finally agree, after calming a bit, to go back to her house to talk this out, but he says they can't be together anymore. When they get home, he explains that he did plant the photos, that nothing happened, and then he explains why he wants to break up. He doesn't want to take everything from her, including motherhood, but she laughs at him, explaining that she already looked up the statistics because of how much she loves him and has wanted to be with him, but that she doesn't mind that they have what they have to do to have kids, donor eggs, adoption, whatever it takes. She just wants to be with him. She tells him that she wants to be with him, but he's still worried she's giving too much up, and if they break up in a few years, it will break him. They seem to break the ice by flirting and taking her to the bedroom, having makeup sex for hours. She's ready to sleep for the night, and Josh is in the kitchen when she hears Bridget come in with supplies to wallow because she never called her back to tell her that all was fine. Bridget is getting mad, turning on Josh for his perceived deception, and she finally convinces Bridget to leave after she sees the suitcase that Natasha's going to take to L.A. and calming her down from that, too. That night, they make love again, and he explains what happened after those staged pictures. He had kicked the dancer out of his car behind around the block, fought with Cam, crashed his car. Him and Cam fought again because Cam thought he was being gutless. He asked Natasha not to let him mess it up, and I think it's really sweet somehow. But also, I just really love him. And look, my issues just bought my therapist her th- third ski chalet. Great. Chapter 25. We're almost there, guys. I promise, and I'm so sorry. The beginning of this chapter is kind of a cute filler chapter. They're in the plane, going to L.A. She's going over everything between them and reminiscing. She wakes up to him changing because he always wears suits and dresses professionally in L.A. They can't be seen together, though, since they haven't told their parents and there is photographers everywhere. She's in the car with Adrian, and she asks a favor from him. Quote, if I'm put into a situation where you think I will be with someone who I can't trust, will you tell me? He smiles on his smile. Of course, Tosh. I'm not feeling better. Okay, what will you say? I ask. He frowns. What will I say? I nod and smile. Yes, code for snake. He laughs out loud. You want to have a secret code for someone you can't trust? I smile and pick up his hand and kiss the back of it. Exactly. I narrow my eyes as I sum up the diabolical plan. So the word for a snake is? I ask. He smiles again. Mm, Cinderella. He giggles. I frown. Cinderella? That's a pretty lame coward code word i was thinking about mole patrol or booby trap he bursts out laughing if i say the word booby trap i'm pretty sure josh will catch one will josh will catch on to our plans i nod oh right good thinking but why cinderella i ask that's what ben and i used to call you before we met you he smirks my mouth drops open why would you call me cinderella i ask because joshua was besotted with you and we and we used to tease him i frown as i sum up his words hmm i like that piece of information unquote i love their friendship it it is explored like especially later on i really love their friendship they're very cute together as they pull up to josh's insane house they arrive before josh and there's a bunch of cars there natasha wants to go in but ben and adrian try to stop her she asks if there's a cinderella in there and adrian confirms there is causing her to storm in 
She meets Brigitte, Josh's housekeeper, who she loves, and Carson, who has a bunch of friends over of the unsavory variety, and he's being rude to Brigitte. He's incredibly rude to Natasha, and Adrian tries to stop her, but she keeps challenging him. Josh comes in, introducing her as his girlfriend, and all the guys try to play it cool, but Natasha kicks them out. Josh loses it, but she gives him an ultimatum. Either his friends with the cocaine and the rude behavior goes, or she goes. And I do really understand this. If you have been discussing moving forward with this guy, including kids, I really don't know who I would, if I would want somebody who hires sex workers as a housewarming present to be there whenever, to be in what will seemingly be my house when I first walk in or someone who's rude to the household staff and has cocaine laying around like I would not want them chilling in the living room I wouldn't but I also think she could have talked to Josh about it Josh finds out that Carson was disrespectful to Natasha and stands up for her saying that it is her home now too and she'll not be disrespected in her home and the party leaves Chapter 26, it opens with Cam finding out what Natasha did to Carson, and she notices that Josh is missing. She goes to find him and notices how beautiful the house is, how it feels like a resort. She finds him, and she touches his shoulder, but he shrugs it off. It switches to his point of view, and he's internally raging over what she did to Carson. They get into a fight over her throwing down the gauntlet, and he inadvertently reminds her that he brings up a lot of seemingly meaningless girls, and that causes her to storm out. He decides to go to his gym and text Carson, explaining that he will call him tomorrow, but Carson gives him shit for being so whipped by her. As he's in the gym, he's thinking he wants to go out and party to blow her off and blow off steam, but he knows it'll just fuck shit up between them even more. After working out for a few hours, he comes out to his resort-like pool to cool off as he's laying on a lounge after swimming. She comes out and she apologizes, knowing she was out of line. He explains that his single status all of his life and that changing will take some time getting used to and she understands. They're smoking after calling a truce when Cam walks up and Natasha offers for him to live with them when he has to move to LA for his residency. They agree as long as Cam moves his room into the West Wing so Natasha can be noisy. (laughs) Also, Cam finds out that Natasha has only been with Josh and Cam constantly calls him a lucky bitch as he's kicked out of the pool area so Josh and Natasha can fuck in the pool in the spa. The next morning, Ben walks into the kitchen to pull Josh into the security room where they find out that Adrian's boyfriend has been cheating. They go pretty much to just beat him up and they really distract they have natasha distract adrian and they're like adrian's like well where is josh what are they doing and she's like oh he had to go get my birth control pills yep that sucks for him okay chapter 27 later on she finds josh's shirt in the bathroom covered in blood she goes down hears him try to hide whatever he did from her Adrian comes in from being on the phone, and he says that he's been dumped. She offers to take him shopping. Before they leave, Josh is taking her on a tour, and he gets to a room and starts to call it a party room before switching it to pool room. So she decides she needs to investigate that room separately later. No, you don't. Just walk away. Just walk away. But she doesn't. Two days later, she's walking around the house, and she finds that room is being remodeled she finds out that room was originally black with a dancer pole in the middle and a giant bed plus mirrors the workers telling her about how the job was a priority job when josh walks in and is furious especially since natasha is in a bikini and a towel 
Chapter 28, she confronts him about what was in the room, but he tries to divert the questions and point out her lack of clothes. Wants her to get ready for dinner that night. She asks him if it was his fuck pad, and he tells her to get off her shit. Then she really wants to know how many girls he fucked before finally saying, now she wants to go house shopping because she doesn't want to live there. Hours later, they're on the way back from dinner, and they are done fighting when Emil calls, and he immediately takes off speaker. He does tell, I think it's Amelie. I've just figured it out. It's Amelie. We're going to switch it all up. Then it is Amelie that Natasha is with him and he finds out they have to go down to his horses tomorrow and he will bring Natasha to meet her. They go to Willowvale, which is where his horses are and it's his favorite place where he wants to move someday. She's realizing as he's saying that, that they may never get to move back to Sydney and she may be leaving her whole life for good, even if he did say that he would move back to Australia with her one day. She finally meets Amelie and it breaks her heart. Oh my gosh, where'd I go? And it breaks her heart because she looks like Grace Kelly. But she's feeling like... But as she's feeling like that, Josh is being very attentive to her. Calling her baby, kissing her. Not at all like if he and Emil, Amelie, were having an affair. Oh my goodness. She watches them look over the horse for an hour before she decides she needs to go inside. And Josh offers to take her. When they get back to the house, she blurts out, quote, Josh, why aren't you with Amelie? He seems to have known this question was coming, and he tells her that with Amelie, it's all or nothing, and he's always been in love with her, meaning Natasha, so he never went there with Amelie. After the conversation, though, she realizes that Amelie is the closest thing she will have to competition. 2 a.m., she has to go see his horse after... He has to go see his horse after Amelie calls saying the horse is sick. Next morning she wakes up. He's still gone. She learns that the horse passed away. She goes to the stables where she finds Amelie crying in his arms. She tries to leave feeling hurt and wanting to give them privacy, but Josh stops her. He wants to be with her, but Amelie looks really hurt by the affection between them. And Natasha's aware that they're both in love with him and he loves both of them. When they make love, he feels that she was different. Quote, I know, Josh. I sob as he frowns. I know you're in love with Amelie, I whisper. He gives me a sad smile and nods. It's true. I do love Amelie, he whispers. I start to sob uncontrollably. I knew it. But I'm not in love with Amelie. I'm in love with you. I don't want to be with Amelie. I love her like a friend. I have no sexual attraction to her whatsoever. We have common interests, Tosh. We both live in a country without our families. I feel very differently about her than I do you. He cuddles me close as I listen to his words. It's different between us, Presh. You know that. Actually, you even told me that you loved your ex-boyfriends, but it was missing something because it wasn't me. He whispers, I listen. That is true, unquote. She worries that she is holding him back from her, but he promises that she is not, that he wants her, and that he even asked Amelie to move out of the main house to make Natasha feel more comfortable. Chapter 29. They are telling their parents that day. They're back in Australia to break the news to everyone. He asks her to promise him one thing, that they will leave there together no matter what happens, and she says they will. As they get to her parents' house, they start to tell them, but Margaret tries to stop them. They finally say it out loud, and everyone starts asking questions, including Brock, who is there, and pissed. Her dad is quiet, not saying much, until finally whispering that it's not right. But she tells him that nothing has ever felt so right. Then the fighting starts between Brock and Cameron and Josh. All As that is happening, Margaret is screaming, trying to wake up Natasha's dad, who slumped over. It is a heart attack. As they're headed to the hospital, Natasha has to pick between riding with her family or riding with Josh. Josh reminds her of a promise that they would leave together, but she climbs in the car with her family. It picks up six weeks after Natasha's dad died. She feels like she killed him with her news. Her and Josh have not spoken, and she's been living with her mom. She feels deep grief and guilt. 
Two weeks later, she's finally back at work. No one has left her side since it happened, including Cameron visiting her every day. As she's at work, Margaret comes in and immediately starts crying. She t tries to tell Margaret that she won't go near Josh, but Margaret stops her, admitting that Josh loves her and that her and Josh are not actually related, at least genetically, that she had an affair and that, she is some that he is someone else's child. She tries to tell a very upset Natasha that her life would be in danger if she told, but she worries about Josh more than herself right now. She needs Natasha to go to Josh. Natasha calls her a murderer. Because of the secret, she feels that her dad was killed by the scandal, but she immediately gets on a flight to go to Josh, smiling for the first time as she flies to him. But as she's flying there, it switches to Josh, who is watching the sex tape they made over and over. He's starting to overdose. He can't move his mouth to call out. Adrian runs in, calling out to Ben to call an ambulance as he's overdosing. And that is where the book ends. And that is where I ended before I did my revamp and all of that. That is where I left people for a year. So, let's, let's break this down, I guess. So where we're leaving this is that he is really, you watch him just overdose and it's heartbreaking. And I, I can sit here and I can read all of this to you guys and I can explain my thoughts on all of this to you guys, but nothing in my mind will compare to reading T.L. Swan's words yourself. Nothing will compare, in my opinion, to immersing yourself in this story and I just, I really recommend doing that. I really recommend just falling into this deep love of this book because it's important. It's important to read. It's important to enjoy. I really hope you guys have enjoyed this first breakdown of Stance and Adore. Um, I love this book for all that it sets up. I think it does a great job of setting up these really big things. Um... It is not my favorite of the Stanton three. It's not my least favorite. I really don't have a least favorite. I just know that for me, um, the end, the the final book is really my favorite. It's very interesting. It's very suspenseful. It's very well done. So for me, that works a little bit. That like nudges it. It's like a 9.5 out of 10 or a 10 out of 10 versus this, which is like a 9 out of 10. There's nothing wrong with this book. Um, it's just what I know is coming down the pipeline works super well for me. Um, so, yeah, I <laughs> we finished Stanton Adore, guys. Again, we did it twice. I am trying to think if there's anything else that, like, I need to break down or I want to break down for you guys. I feel like I left a lot of my tangents in in the rest of the episode so you guys can go back and listen to me vent about that if you'd like to but for me I just really overall enjoyed this book so this is the Sunday night Monday morning episode Wednesday you guys should be having an episode that goes through the books that I'm reading this week um I have to say I'm very excited because I bought a few new books I have not read them yet I'm really hoping to talk about those on the podcast but uh, as of right now, I haven't actually read. The books that I've been reading have kind of not been holding my attention. And I won't talk about those, like I said on the Wednesday episode. This podcast is not for shit-talking authors. This podcast is not for being rude to other people. I will never come on to this, the Sunday episodes or the Wednesday episodes and be like, well, F that author. They suck. It's very much going to be, let's talk about 
the happy things that I'm reading. Let's talk about why I love this book. I don't want to talk about why I hate things. It makes me super sad. Um, I was talking with my husband today about my consumption about True Crime podcast. I've listened to True Crime podcast really since I got into podcast. Uh, my first one that I really got into is Gilmore Guys, but then I really veered off into true crime category. And I'm really realizing that if you're making media out there, if you're making some kind of media, is it is it leaving the community better than whenever you found it? You know, so for true crime, how are you doing to respect those victims' families? You know, for for something as, as small as this podcast, are you being rude to authors who put their time and effort and care and love into their characters? So for me, I will always try to bring positivity to this podcast. I keep hitting things, so I'm very sorry for the noise. Um, so yeah, just for, for me, like I said, these podcasts will hopefully always be kindness first and foremost. Um, terrible recaps, seconds. <laughs> like I said before, um, please join me at V Cummins Romance. It's V-I and then C-U-M-M-I-N-S. I would love to have you guys in there. Please share everywhere. Please rate and review. Huge thank you to Enchanted Tiki Designs for the artwork that we have. I absolutely love my logo. I've loved it for a year and I'm so excited to get back and be with it. I, there was one more thing. Oh, in the episode notes, I always leave the link to the book that I'm talking about. I will also leave a book to Sadie Kincaid's book like we talked about. Sorry, I will leave a link to Sadie Kincaid's book like we talked about. Um, so yeah, just episode notes will always have it. You can buy it from Amazon. Both of those, I believe, are on Kindle Unlimited. Sadie's, I know, is on sale for 99 cents. Please go out there and, um, and just, yeah, enjoy all the wonderful books that Kindle Unlimited has to offer, uh, all the books that just in general Kindle has. I really cannot wait to see you guys next week where we get to discuss the aftermath of the overdose and the aftermath of Natasha really getting into LA again and her trying to make a go of it. So I will see you guys later on this week and then I will see you guys next week. Thank you so much and please don't forget to set your Kindle history to private. Love you guys. Bye.